the presence of suffering and persecution uh, is the way that God makes you better, stronger, and woven even tighter with Christ the vine. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave. Don't fear the Reaper Van Bickle. Oh yes, you took the, you took it, you took it. I did, suggestion. I did. How you doing today, Dave? Yeah, I'm good. I, uh, you know, it's a nice, nice day here in Pittsburgh, and we are in the midst of moving, which is awful, oh. but I can't wait to like open up our house for evangelization when we get there. I'm like really excited about it. You ever heard of a Protestant minister, a uh, reformed church called uh, Francis Schaefer? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Old Frankie Schaefer, as I Yeah, yeah, him. I read, like when I was in high school, he wrote, he wrote a book about art that I really, really loved. Yeah. I can't so, remember what it was called, but. Uh, yeah, so he, one of his interesting things was from kind of like the, super conservative reformed church he did the opposite most of the people at that time did not participate from his kind of view did not participate in okay. culture right so what right. he did when he moved to switzerland to do evangelization was he sought to engage culture now it was almost always critical um he has a series on jackson pollock and all this other stuff yeah was, yeah yeah it was almost always critical but at least he was engaging it um, but he created a space, and there's several of them that still exist today, replicated in different areas, called the refuge or the shelter. I might have brought it up on here before, but uh, when you said that about your house, because now you're going to actually have to pay a mortgage. Yeah. I think about that all the time, and we try to make our home uh, once a week a center of community life. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And so uh, my wife has a wonderful ability to draw to herself women who are like one step in one step out of the church cool and uh it's almost always about family life and fertility and you know things around that nature and so she has this remarkable ability to be the mom superhero to them and so our home quickly becomes the place where potlucks happen and all these different families get to know each other and all that stuff so do you know what the do you know what the coolest part about this i've been thinking about this lately so we have to get this house ready for yeah we have i have two kids who will, will be using wheelchairs so we're getting the house ready right now like remodeled to get ready for the wheelchairs and this group of men at our parish who are like just most of them are retired or semi-retired and they're just like super handy are doing the work for us. Like they came to me and said, we want to do this for you guys. And so my boys, uh, Sam, Max and Judah, like they go over and they work with the guys. Oh, that's, and they're all like, they're all like 70 or 80 years old, like really old. (laughs) And um, like, it's amazing to watch because it's like, I'm just like seeing like, Oh, I'm, I'm so thankful for this experience because they're getting so much wisdom from these older men, you know, who just, there's just like a lot of stoic wisdom being thrown around. Do you know what I mean? And uh, the boys just love it and they love teaching the boys and everything like that. And so, yeah, people don't realize in our segmented society, uh, especially in, I, I think we're worse than our culture within the church. Yeah. Where everything is divided according to age. Right. So the wisdom of our elderly and the energy of the youth are never joined together. Right. And that is a darn shame. And the and the wealthier the area, the worse it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because they say they save well and they get themselves into the nice 
retirement communities and then and then you know the even you know the further on they get you know they're they're never almost living ever with their their sons and daughters and it's a it's kind of sad you know it is it is and the more we stratify and separate our culture i just think it reinforces one of the worst things about modernity which is we only focus on the now we don't care about yesterday and we don't know what's coming tomorrow right and so we create a society that is rootless because it doesn't understand where it's coming from and thoughtless so it doesn't understand where it's going all it cares about is the now and so um the first symptom of that is breaking the family apart and by the family we mean the extended family of grandparents and aunts and uncles and all that stuff right cultures that don't care about the now that care about tomorrow more than today those are the cultures where you find interesting things like they live on the same street maybe for two or three generations i love it i love it um aunts and uncles discipline the children just as much as the parents and it doesn't lead to the parents never speaking to their yeah. brothers or sisters again um and you find things that are so funny like savings rates like in america we save like negative three percent like we are going in debt more every year in germany it's like five percent wow. but in like japan and china it's like 25 percent or 35 percent and That's so incredible um they why do they do that because they know that their money is not theirs it's their future generations or it belongs to the family and we don't think like that so we just think of yeah. it belongs to me now well how can i use it now yeah you know, I, I think, and the, uh, I've been saying like mother Teresa, you know, the, the amazing part about mother Teresa is you always expected her to slam the rich. Yeah. Always, always, always. And, and the, the most amazing part of her and the part that I'm trying to channel right now is she, she could encounter someone who was as uh, in the top 1% of wealth in the world and she would see the poverty in them, you know? And I think we desperately need evangelists now who see the poverty in suburbia, who can see that, you know, that, that they're, they're as impoverished as any place in America. It's just a different, it looks different. And if we don't see it, it's hard to treat it. You know, it's hard to love it. Yeah. I mean, and part of us as evangelists in America and full-time employees at a parish, there's a reason why rural and inner city parishes only have one or two employees. Right. And why my parish has like 16 employees just in the faith formation department. Uh, we have a whole, we have departments, right? right? Um, but this phrase that we always have to balance, or not this phrase, the, the letter to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. I will literally vomit for you say i am rich i have prospered and i need nothing not knowing that you're wretched pitiable poor blind and naked therefore i counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire that you may be rich white garments to clothe you etc etc and so the whole idea of mother Teresa, she could see that a nation that so privileged its own convenience and comfort would approve of a, of abortion as backup contraception like america has. right Right. That she could see that as a wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, th how horrible is it to look at a culture that, I mean, like, if you make 33500 I think, dollars a year or more, 
you are the top one percent of the world's richest people. That's amazing, um, right? Um, so, I mean, it does take perspective. Obviously, things are expensive in America, yeah. but it's also expensive because we make it expensive. When my great grandparents from Ireland, when they moved over here, uh, five families lived in a two bedroom apartment in Philadelphia. Families, not five people. Now it's like one person gets their own apartment. No wonder the cost of living skyrockets. So we say all this again, just to remind us that. Um, I mean, to be a prophet is not to seek out the accolades of others. Um, to be a false prophet is to do exactly that, to pe- tell people what they want to hear rather than the truth of the gospel. But at the same time, to win people's hearts, we balance it by being winsome, by learning and understanding and using wisdom and prudence on how to deliver a message so that they will hear and buy from Christ gold as refined by fire, right? That's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah, I think I think if you're if you're nervous about what we just said, the easiest way to remember this is to find the poverty in your own heart. Yeah. You know, just to continue with the humility and realize that we all have the poverty. You know, so it, and that God is waiting to meet the need in every one of us, so that we can. You know, we're not standing on a soapbox. Well, I am all the time, but I shouldn't be. So. <laughs> Man, we we have an awesome email today. I think this girl this girl Lena wins the email contest for now because she yeah. she she suggested some some nicknames for me yeah we got uh when i dip you dip we dip van vickle i like that one and the one i use today don't fear the reaper Dude, like i love it i love yeah. it I love that's, it. A, that's Which, appropriate for an evangelist right yeah right right so okay so <laughs> she gives two questions all right lena's working in ohio and she's a volunteer but she it seems like she's an active volunteer right that she's like doing a lot at her parish small parish and her first question is this look if you properly discerned that you're called to do something in ministry how do you stay true to god's will in an ongoing manner and she says the line from the soul of the apostle that most convicted me was quote God, move aside the obstacles and watch me work, unquote. <laughs> I think I've been guilty of that many times. And just as a side note, this is just me talking. I have been guilty of that more than anyone on earth. Okay, so I know what she's talking about. Dave, she's doing it right now. Yeah, right. Despite You're literally having, <laughs> doing it right now. <laughs> she says, despite having felt confident that I prayerfully discerned correctly at the onset that I was called to start something new, what are the practical steps to stay grafted onto the vine when you've been sent to work out in the vineyard? I love it. Okay, uh, well, Gomer, let, let, why don't you why don't you take a stab at this? Okay, so uh, the reason why I love this is I have just done a study of John fifteen, uh, Jesus the true vine. So Jesus in John fifteen says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit." Now, when we stop and think about how can I abide on the vine? Uh, I often ask our church workers uh, and volunteers and just individual Catholics, ask yourself this question, am I a branch on the vine of Jesus Christ or is Jesus a branch off the vine of me? Am I the source and Jesus is one among many co-equal things that share my time and energy and talent and treasure? Or is Jesus the defining characteristic of my life that drives where I spend my time, my talent, and my treasure. That's the first thing, and that's that first area of discernment. That is very important to understand this. But one of the things that I think is beautiful, so Jesus contrasts um, the vines or the branches, excuse me, that don't bear fruit, he takes away. Where does it go? If you don't abide in them, it's cast forth as a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you do abide and you let Christ's words abide in you, the Father, who was the vine dresser, 
dresser will prune you. And this is the interesting thing. When um, I heard this one person uh, break down this talk, he said, the vine dresser is external to the life of the vine and the branch in this, in this analogy, right? And he comes up to you and he begins to prune you. What is this pruning? He said, often the pruning is the attacks of the world. And it can be from your mama, from your daddy. It can be from your spouse. It can be from your work, whatever. It's these attacks that you receive that is actually what aids you in bearing more fruit. That is the pruning process. And that's how we abide even tighter to Christ on the vine. Our, our life, when we are uh, convinced and convicted, I use those words, convinced means, you know, intellectually convicted means with your will. When you're convinced and convicted that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and desires union with me, then that means that if I am suffering, if I'm going through pain, if I'm going through persecution and insults and all of this stuff uh, falsely, then what happens is I get knitted tighter to the vine. The pruning makes me better, makes me stronger, makes me bear more fruit. But if Christ, if I'm not convinced and convicted that he really is the risen Lord, and in fact, if I am willing to adulterate the gospel for the sake of people liking me or whatever it might be, then what happens is I begin to separate from that branch and then the father will prune me away. And so for in a very real way, the presence of suffering and persecution uh, is the way that God makes you better, stronger, and woven even tighter with Christ the vine. And that is troublesome, but that's the only way God <laughs> sets it out to be. Right. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things part, parts of this question was, you know, that quote, God move aside the obstacles and watch me work. And I think one of the, which is a very practical way of looking at that is that if your prayer is a hundred percent surrounding your apostolate, you're doing something wrong. So like if every bit of your prayer is for something in your apostolate, then, then there's a problem there. Okay. Because prayer is, is about your relationship with God, you know? And so like one of the things I've learned, we, we, I'll, t I'll teach people, especially through the exorcism ministry is like, I'll say to them, look, I want you to have a prayer time every day, but you're not allowed to pray like just spiritual warfare prayers. In fact, you have to just have a conversation with God that has nothing to do with your affliction. And, and what I, what the reason I say that is because they're focusing on their relationship with God and not just on what they're trying to do for God. And so I think that's one of the best ways to remain grounded is just to really make sure that you have your spiritual life, right? That you're trying to become a mystic. There's no question in your in your mind, right? That God is you're you're surrendering slowly to God in prayer. And then you have your apostolate and you want to make sure that yeah, of course you pray for your apostolate, but make sure you have that relationship with God because I think in a lot of ways that keeps us grounded. Um and and in a lot of ways remember that a lot of this, practically speaking, looks like God steering you a different way. It doesn't necessarily look like God closing a door all the time, all, always. Some, you know, I, I, Father John Gordon, you remember him, Gomer? He, he used to always say, God God can't steer a, a stopped ship or a docked ship. Oh, yeah. And I remember that being a very good piece of advice to me because I would discern and discern and discern and never move. And so we, we want to make sure that we're, we know that there are certain things we can do that, of course, God calls all of us to do and let him steer you and become more docile to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, in fact, um, I was thinking about him when you said that because 
I told him that I would pray and pray and pray for my vocation. Every mass I went to was, Lord, am I called to be a priest? And right. every holy hour I did. And he goes, well, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? And he's like, you should be praying to become one with the Lord. Yeah, right. Your vocation flows from your unity. Right. And I'm like, oh, that was a bad impression of him. No, but, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, man. I love him. Okay. It was pretty accurate. All right. All right. So, so that's one, I mean, that's one practice step. Gomer kind of gave you the background and like the theology behind it. Uh, The other thing is to just really just to start to learn uh, really good discernment, right? And it could be Ignatian. It could be some of the different forms that the church teaches us, but to really just stay uh, in, in a perpetual state of humility where you are constantly asking God for his will, but you're still moving, right? You're, we're not telling you to stop and ask God. Yeah. I know one of the things I used to say is, um, you know, I, I would always say, you know, when I used to live across the street from the church I worked at, I used to always say, if I were walking into work and I felt like I could accomplish my job, I'd probably quit that day. You know, <laughs> you're supposed to feel a little overwhelmed if that's where this question's coming from. You're supposed to feel a little overwhelmed, you know, because that's when we really rely on God. Yeah, and another thing is rely on a multiplicity of counselors. Yes. Um, yes. Part of humility is going to people and bouncing ideas off of them. I know for me, I get so passionate about new ideas that I want to launch into them right now, 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 and I don't take time. So let's say you take time and discern it. What about the implementation of it? You know, sometimes because our view, even if it's the right thing, our view is finite. That's why we need a core team. That's why we need people who, at the very least, will pray about it and let us bounce ideas. At the most, will actually come and partner with us as co-laborers in the vineyard. So get counselors. Get people that you trust, that you can share your vision. Because what happens is if you have a mission, you have that gives you permission to say no to things. And no one likes hearing no. Hey, I got this great new Bible study. No, that doesn't right, fit right. the mission. You know, well, it's a good thing. Why not? You have the classroom. You have the space. We can do this. We can do that. What about that? No, no, no. If it doesn't fit the mission, you have permission to say no. That's right. And and God will, if you're in the right place, God will be bringing people into your life who, who, can, who can help mentor you, who can help, you know, counsel you and all those kinds of things. You know, I, I, I've always seemed to think that, you know, it was God put people in my life at the exact right time, so... Have have faith there. So, okay, so she has a question. We have no organized plan for discipleship and very few efforts at evangelization at a parish. Things seemed often things seem often ad hoc, one off and or last minute, which is basically 90% of the parishes in the United States. Uh, however, we are finishing up the Be My Witness program from Renew and are starting to craft a strategic pastoral plan for the next few years. What are your best suggestions for keeping Jesus's mission Jesus mission evangelization at the heart of our plan? Um I, I I'm not familiar with the be my witness, are you? I am not. I am not. Okay. Okay. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's good. You know, I'm sure it's one of these programs that people are using out there. Um but it, it, here's what I'm doing. We're in the middle of this right now, right? So our we're merging these two parishes and we're trying to make the tough decisions and it 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 is this is difficult, right? So you're going to have to choose a paradigm by which you evaluate all your decisions, right? And, uh, you know, I, I, I almost every meeting that we have when we're going through this vision planning, this mission planning, I'll write up the quote, you know, the church exists to evangelize. And that's really the paradigm that we use to evaluate every decision is are our buildings, are our, our, our staff, are our, our resources, 
being leveraged for in the best way to evangelize the people who come to us and the people around us. And I think in a certain sense, at the beginning, I would literally say, okay, let's, let's, let's evaluate this by our paradigm. What is our paradigm? What are our values? What are our core, our, our core way of thinking, our philosophy here? And every time something would come up, we would evaluate it by that. What is, you know, what is the best, you know, for my family, you know, the, the mission that I'm constantly spouting this, the, the, the sentence I constantly say is, look, the only thing that matters is that you go to heaven and you bring as many people possible with you. And so like any decision we make, our my kids have a paradigm with which to evaluate that decision. And if they see that I'm making the decision, they, they can go back and say, well, that's what dad thinks. So that's why he made that decision. I think having the right paradigm in front of you and evaluating all your decisions, your schedules, your calendars, your resources based on, you know, the correct paradigm is going to help keep these things central to your plan. Um, and you definitely want to have someone in the meetings who I think I, I would call them a problem person, right? Who is constantly kind of pushing the envelope as far as like, why, why is that an issue? Why are we doing this? Why are we done it that way? Why, why, you know, they're continually asking the kind of the tough questions. Uh, you're going to want someone in these meetings who can do that. I, in, in several different occasions, I've been in meetings where uh, Jim Beckman, who is, you know, kind of a famous youth minister from Columbine High School when, when that tragedy happened, um, or he lived in that area, uh, and he was a youth minister. Several of his kids were involved in that tragedy. He is that guy in a lot of meetings, right, where he is constantly asking the tough questions, where he's saying, like, well, why? Why do we have to do it like this? Why would we do that? Why are we using it like this? Why are we doing that? And you want to have someone who's a little bit difficult like that because it really helps you to stretch and kind of rethink and refocus on what what's important there. And it keeps everyone humble. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Everyone oh, yeah. humble. Another thing I would say when talking about a pastoral plan, I have read probably dozens of pastoral plans, strategic initiatives, you know, whatever you want to call them. And most of them are not worth the paper they're printed on. I agree. Because they don't actually, they're not memorable. Right. They're not actually implementable. Right. Right. They're these very lofty or or they have very specific things in mind that are just such low-hanging fruit. You know, we're going to launch ushers and right. door welcomers and all that stuff. Um, that they're 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 often very problematic, um, in in terms of actually accomplishing evangelization. I would recommend you do some thought experiments. Right, you you first start with the end. What does the disciple of Jesus Christ look like? List a handful of attributes and qualities that you want to see in a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is a thing for more than just you, if you're a DRE or if you're in charge of this stuff. This is something for the staff and key volunteer leaders. Read through the Gospels, right? Pick a Gospel, pick Mark since it's shortest, and read through and say, okay, this is what it means to be an actual disciple of Jesus. Write that out and then say, these are the qualities that we believe our parish wants to highlight. Because you can add a million virtues or whatever, but... These are the ideal things that we want. And then begin to ask yourself, are we creating this or just some generic something else? Because often what you'll find is when you start to put a magnifying glass over this, you begin to find that all we're doing is putting kids through religious education, and that's about it. So the kids come out with a 
bland sort of generalized knowledge of Catholicism, and then they walk away because they don't have a prayer life. A disciple is one who prays. How do you communicate a prayer life? How do you communicate service to the poor? How do you communicate devotion to the saints? Whatever it might be, right? So uh, I would say that. And then the other thing is realize that the majority of the people in your pew, the majority, are not disciples. So put a piece of paper in one side of the room and a piece of paper in the other side of the room and say, what are the steps? If someone was standing here in the non-disciple zone, what are the steps they need to take them from one side to the disciple zone, right? The intentional disciple, the missionary disciple, whatever you want to call it. How do I walk them there? And that's where you need to build the majority of your resources for folks. It's not just about smiling faces when people walk into the door for the liturgy of the mass, right? right. It's about outreach. It's about speak, having a laity that can actually communicate the gospel, right? Does your pastoral council know what the gospel is? I would say that's where you're going to have the biggest impact. First form the people who are there to be formators of other people who are sometimes there and then walk them through. I, I would guess if you were to look at your parish, maybe you would have next to nothing other than RCIA that is right. specifically for outside. Yeah, I, and just on the highly practical end, the last thing I would say to you is if you're not a member of the Forming Intentional Disciples Forum on Facebook, you should join today. If your pastor could join, he sh that would be great. Um, and if they haven't read Forming Intentional Disciples, it's going to – it's gonna it, what it's going to do is kind of put you down the rabbit hole a little bit further to where, you know, it, it, what's going to happen is in a year from now, you're going to read it and be like, oh, I wish I would have read this a year ago. Oh, absolutely. I just, I'm, I'm about to do a parish mission, uh, just kind of like a small thing at a church when I'm <laughs> hanging out with the in-laws, I'm going to a neighboring parish. And, uh, I, the lady said, what's the first thing I should do? And I said, well, get on the forum and get the book. Yeah. And she read it and she shot me this email at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Right. Just filled with all this stuff. She was set on fire from that book. So right. yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And what will happen is it, you know, run these ideas by on the forum, you know, just post and say, this is my idea. And you'll get like, it's so big now you'll get 80 different comments from people who are just haven't thought about it enough. But then, you know, the moderators, um, Sherry Waddell, Catherine Coolidge, uh, me and, and Bobby Vidal. Are you a moderator? on that? I'm a moderator. I was the third. Ooh, I'm moderator. jealous. I'm jealous. Yeah. Those guys, when they comment, you know, these are people who have not done this 10 times, not done this 20 times, but they've like been involved in thousands of these different uh, situations just like you're in, and they can give you wisdom that's been well thought out from a long time. Yeah, and uh, the great thing about Sherry's book, Forming Intentional Disciples, is it is a roadmap. It's not, it doesn't give you every little thing, but the main thing it tells you is the strategy we've, we've all been using, the infant paradigm of evangelization where we just teach kids the faith and we ignore the adults and hope they have it, that does not work. So priority number one is how do we reach the adults? Forget about the kids. Yeah, but, and by the way, if you are just an evangelist and you're not involved with the parish, the for, the forum on Facebook is an excellent resource because uh, this is like Sherry Waddell's baby, and she is a, a I mean, she's a student of evangelization. That's yeah. what she is, oh, well. you know, a lifelong student. Of, so, she, and she shares her wisdom continually, and it's all from the heart of the church. It's it's really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, I would say, if you go into that forum, head over to the documents that people have posted. I think it's called files or something. Yeah, you can and you can actually find stuff for yep. five 
five, six years, maybe five yeah, years yeah. of content of people being like, hey, here's my parish plan. I have one that I posted up there um, from four years ago when I first started as the adult faith formation director. So all sorts of stuff that's out there. Go check it out. Super practical ways. Uh, Lena, thank you yeah. so much for writing in. When we come back from this brief commercial break from our fine friends here at Ascension, we are going to talk about our five top takeaways, things that are so practical and made a priest in the Diocese of Pittsburgh tell Dave he <laughs> hates our podcast because it challenges him. So we want to challenge you. Come back. If you want to send us an email or a glory story, we want to read them uh, for our audience. Top five takeaways coming up next. Email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. Two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ chose corrupt, broken, imperfect, sinful men to be the foundation of his church. And because these broken, imperfect men chose to remain in relationship with Jesus, they became saints. And they were used by Jesus to transform hearts and minds two thousand years later. I invite you to check out my book, Broken and Blessed where you'll find practical tools to overcome habitual sin, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and to walk with an imperfect church toward a perfect God who is calling all of us to perfection over time. To order the paperback book or audiobook, Broken and Blessed, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. I hope this episode's been beneficial to you. I hope it's been a blessing to you. You know, we, Gomer and I love working with Ascension Press, so I hope that uh, you guys check out their website and take a look at some of the awesome resources that Ascension Press has. And again, as Gomer mentioned before we went to break, you know, we love to hear from you guys and we're getting lots of email now and it's been great to interact with people and, and, uh, we, we want you to keep it coming. So EKSB at ascensionpress.com, please, please let us know how things are going out there. And, uh, you know, Gomer told me today that we have at this point, we have 233,000 downloads of this podcast, which is amazing to me. I hadn't, I had, I mean, it's in, I, I didn't, I don't know anything about podcasts, but Gomer tells me that that's a, that's a good number. So, um, this is, this is awesome. And we want to continue this. I, I, I am especially excited about the fact that so many of the people who listen to this podcast work for the church, you know, and I, and we really, yeah. we just, we love being a part of, you know, what's happening at your parishes and stuff like that. So let us know who you are and, and keep in touch with us because we, uh, we love hearing all that kind of stuff. So remember, we're doing five practical takeaways every episode. We want to make sure that uh, no matter what we talk about, no matter how ethereal Gomer gets in his uh, <laughs> pronouncements on this, we want to make sure that you have practical things to take away for evangelization. So let's, uh, Gomer, start us off. All righty. So I would encourage you all, again, we've said this before, get the book Forming Intentional Disciples by Sherry Waddell the first of her series we get no on, commission from this no commission yeah none whatsoever um and just read i mean read the whole book but if you've already read the book go back and read the thresholds chapters it's in the middle of the book it occupies several chapters there's one that kind of introduces the whole thing just read through them all and then ask yourself if you're talking about a pastoral plan a strategic plan for your parish or your or your ministry your outreach or whatever you want to do 
realize that your plan should have something on each stage of those right. thresholds. Right. Okay, number two. What I want you to do, even if you don't work for, for a parish, even if you don't work for the church in an official capacity, I want you to sit down and make your own either mission or plan or strategic action plan of evangelization for your parish. I want you to I want you to make one and and really think about what we talked about in this episode. Like what would you do specific to your parish? And the reason I, I want you to do this is because, first of all, you know, so many of us are sitting on the sidelines, and this can be a way for us to say, well, this is, here's a spot that I could fill in. Here's a spot that I could step in. You know, here's a spot that no one's doing yet, and I really think need, this needs to happen. And you could pray about being that kind of link in the chain. Yeah, and that's huge. That's huge. Uh, number three, pray for the humility and boldness of evangelists and catechists in the church today. Especially those who uh, might be Catholic, quote unquote, celebrities, right? Pray for the humility for those people. Pray for the humility of Bishop Robert Barron and Father Mike Schmitz and Jeff Cavins and Dave, when I dip, you dip, we dip, Van Vickle. Yeah. Pray for their right. humility because even if it, it's so silly, but going to audiences who are longing to hear your words, there are a few things as affirming as that and it can go to your head quickly so we want to always keep our evangelists from slipping away from letting pride and power and arrogance ever take over the message so pray for us your hosts and pray for humility i don't want to be humiliated but i know exactly don't humble us <laughs> just give us humility yeah. that's what i want give me humility oh lord no actual situations <laughs> where it has to occur but give us humility so and pray for your own catechists and evangelists yeah. Pray for yeah number four uh we go back time and time again to two books gomer mentioned the first one forming intentional disciples the second one is the soul of the apostolate the soul of the apostolate again if you if you haven't done this if you just think that we're like just saying this, you know, these are platitudes. This is a book you, I mean, I hate, I don't like making aggressive statements like this, but you have to have this book. If you're an evangelist, like you need this, it's not something that we're like, you know, we're just joking around about. This is a serious thing. It's so good. And, you know, today our, our listener who wrote in quoted, you know, this one line that really kind of haunted her. And it comes from chapter two of part one. What I want you to do is if you have the book already, or if you have to look it up online, I want you to read part one, chapters one and two of the soul of the apostolate. And even that, if you haven't read it yet, it's going to get you so far into the mindset that you need to be as someone who's carrying out apostolate. Exactly. Exactly. You can get a PDF of it online. Um, okay. So next, what you have to do. This is community, folks. This is the hard part. Uh, this is where we actually no. have to talk to someone. I want you to set up a meeting with your priest. Uh, oh. And ask him where he sees the greatest need in the parish or in the community at large. You don't have to say, what, do you, what can I do? Just talk with him about his view of the church and needs and desires and wants and what he sees the Lord doing. Ask him where he sees God's will and spirit moving in the, in, in the parish itself, in the community at large, and learn from him from what he sees. I like it. Uh, maybe, maybe you can contribute something back, but that's not the point. The point is to kind of sit at the feet of someone who sees the bottom line of every financial committee statement, who knows 
intimate details of people's lives, confessions, uh, mass attendance, right? All of these things are bobbing around in priests' heads, and they see so much more of the big picture than what we do as individuals. So go and ask. Go and ask. <laughs> it is. But ladies and gentlemen, this is these are your five practical takeaways. Let us know how you're doing on those. And this has been Every Knee Shall Bow. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dave Van Vickle, up here in Pittsburgh. And we really enjoy spending this 30 to 40 minutes with you each week. And I hope you enjoy it, too. God bless you all and you're in our prayers.